Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. We've been doing a series called It's Good to Be Home. And today's message is alignment in the church equals health and growth. Alignment in the church. And my challenge to you is going to be that you would get aligned with where God wants you within our church family, that you'd find your place and that you'd step up and, and let God use you so lives can be changed. Amen? Harvey McKay, in his uh, book, Swim with the Sharks, shares this story. General William Westmoreland was once reviewing a platoon of paratroopers, you know, guys that drop out of the sky in the Vietnam War. As he went down the line, he asked each of them a question. How do you like jumping, son? Love it, sir, was the first answer. How do you like jumping, he asked the next. The greatest experience in my life, sir, exclaimed the paratrooper. How do you like jumping, he asked the third. I hate it, sir, he replied. Then why do you do it, asked Westmoreland. Because I want to be around guys who love to jump, sir. And I read that and I thought, you know, this captures the essence of church family. We want to be around people who love Jesus, who serve each other, and who impact their world, their city for Jesus Christ. You ever notice you get around people, they got that, that sense of faith, they, they have that thing inside of them that wants to do great things in God, that, that believes that God can do the impossible, that He can change lives, that He can rock people's worlds. When you get around them and you talk to them, you know, you're, you think you're facing a mountain, to, to them it looks like a molehill. They just have this ability to see God's ability in every situation. You like being around people like that? I do. People like that stoke my fire. And one of the things I want to share with you today is, is that happens in a church when all of us begin to get in place. When you get in line, when you kind of get into rank in God, you know what I mean? And you find your place and you start to serve and you start to use all that God's given you, life comes to you and life comes through you. And we have a problem in, in much of the American church and, and that is that many of the people in congregations are waiting for the pros to do it. They sit back, you know, this is what we think many times. We think, I come to church, I show up and I give my attendance, I give my offering, and I give a little bit of my time on Sunday so that those guys can do the ministry. They can go to the hospital, they can reach our community, they can come up with the strategies, they can preach good messages. And that is completely inverted when it comes to the New Testament picture of the church. The New Testament picture of the church has this idea that guys like me and our staff, pastors and leaders will equip you, will we'll speak to you, will share with you, will teach with you, will model for you so that you'll walk out of these doors and you'll go do ministry in the outside world. You'll go out of here and recognize that where you work, where you live, the home that you're in, the children that you're raising, wherever you go, you'll realize that is my ministry, that is my calling. I also may have a ministry and a calling in the church, but what I'm doing out there, what I'm doing if I'm, you know, if I'm working out here at one of the plants is holy and important to God, and God placed you there, and it's a mission field, and there are people there that need to desperately see that Jesus Christ loves them, dies for them, rose again for them, and is alive. And so you are kind of planted by God, right? You're undercover. 
as it were. And God wants to take the covers off and have you shine your light before men. It's a good word, Pastor Doug. Amen. The first thing I want you to see, and I'm going to move, I have to move quickly, obviously, but, and that's that Jesus' death on the cross aligned us with God and with each other. Jesus' death aligned us with God and with each other. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It'll be up here on the screen. Look what it says in the New Living Translation. It says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. I shared this a few weeks ago. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in His own body on the cross, He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So I just want you to think from this text about a few things that happened when Jesus died on the cross. He, he did His part to bring us together to align us and make us healthy. The first thing it says is we've been united with Christ Jesus. We've been united with Him. I don't know if you've experienced that yet. If you haven't, I pray today you will. But did you know that when a person starts to follow God because of what Jesus has done, it's not just a mental ascent. It's not just believing the right things. It's not just me agreeing with what the Bible says. It's so much more than that. It's a living faith where you come into union with a person. When a person comes to faith in Jesus, they actually get united with Him. In this mysterious spiritual connection, this organic connection, you're like, you're joined to Jesus Christ. Secondly, you're brought near to God through the blood of Christ. The Bible teaches in the Old Testament and the New Testament that it took the shedding of blood for you and I to be made one with God. The Bible teaches there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Over and over, there's no forgiveness. It literally says, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, that shedding of His blood brought us near to God. That's what makes us come close to God. And then the next thing I want you to notice is that Christ brought peace to us with God. Now, you might not realize this, but the Bible teaches that we're at war with God through our own sin. You ever think about that? We're at war with God. We're the rebels. God isn't. God's the lover. God's the creator. God made us for friendship. God made us to be a father to us. And we turned way back in the day and we continue to turn. Every life turns and says, I don't want you. I want to be my own God. I can do this without you. Thank you very much. And we reject the grace and the love and the kindness of God that's poured out on us. I mean, think about it. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He blesses our lives every day. Even if you're not a believer, if you're an atheist or an agnostic or you're a skeptic, every day you're the beneficiary of what theologians call God's common grace so that everywhere you walk and everything you do, you're showered with the blessing of God. You can breathe, you can eat, you can drink, you have clothing on your back, you have a roof over your head, you're cared for, and God put into the world for you to be cared for out of sheer love and grace, not because you did anything to deserve it. Amen. And so what happened? Jesus died on the cross. We deserve judgment. He said, no, my son's going to take your judgment so we can be at peace. I signed the treaty in my son's own blood. The war's over. Come on, let's sit together and eat and let's have fellowship. Let's be friends. And then it says that Jesus united Jews and Gentiles, and I want to expand that because I want you to understand that every race outside of being Jewish is Gentile. 
But what's the point there? The point is, is that God brought people together. And all you have to do, look at our nation right now. Whether it's along racial or ethnic lines, whether it's along socioeconomic lines, whether it's along political lines, right, left, Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever, progressive, whatever name, whatever label you want to put, we live in a nation that is incredibly divided, and we live in a world that's divided. Human nature is divided. That's the way we are. We're tribal by nature. All of us are trying to fall into some kind of tribe and fit in our little spot so we can look at the other and consider the other to be the enemy, and then, you know, we can kind of bomb the other and shoot the other with words or with real bombs and guns if we want to. But that's human nature. Human nature is constantly at war, constantly in hostility, constantly looking at the other as a threat. And what Jesus Christ came to do is not just unite us with the Father, but also unite us with one another, break down the wall of hostility and say, come to the table and let's be at peace. That's powerful. And then we see... In Ephesians 4.16, I, I want to read this to you. It says, he makes, I want, to, I, I want you to see his part continued here. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So I want you to notice that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You ever think about that? Jesus is making our church fit together perfectly. Now, you might look around and say, I don't see it. You ever feel like that? Sometimes I look around and I'm like, Lord, it doesn't seem like we're fitting right now. So-and-so is mad at so-and-so and there's a little war going on over here. Help! Right? We need you to help us fit. Some, some of you feel that way in your marriage, Right? You were so excited when you got together with that person. The two of you came together and you said, that's such a perfect fit. And now you're like, whoa, square peg, round hole, something ain't right here. Right? And you see that a lot in relationships. You see it in the church. But Jesus is working to make us one and to bring us together and cause us to fit. Amen? And what's our part when each of us, notice what that verse says, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We do our own special work both inside and outside of our gatherings. We're helping each other grow when we discover and use our gifts. You get to help someone grow. Think about that. Sometimes when we have somebody, you know, serve in an area that's not, as I said a few weeks ago, as sexy as other areas, right? Somebody's in the nursery, that's not a sexy ministry. Some of you don't like that term, you know what we mean by that, just kind of cool and okay, so don't be offended. Okay, so, you know, somebody's back there serving in the nursery and they don't get as much recognition, but, but I was pointing out that when somebody serves back there, they make it possible for a lot of parents to be able to sit here and receive ministry and it blesses their life. And so they're doing a huge service to the whole of the body. We look back in our sound booth and we got guys on screens and guys at soundboards. And let me just tell you something. There's no ministry in the church that can ruin a Sunday morning faster than the sound guy. And most of the time, we don't even recognize it, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a little bit of... And people are like, man, what's going on back there? We expect perfection. And when it's not delivered, when the guy, you know, working the, the words to the songs doesn't keep up, people are like, what's going on back there? You guys need to get your act together. It's because we become so accustomed to everybody serving us and blessing us. And when somebody messes up a little, we notice it. So what we really need to do is stop and say, thank you, audio-visual department. 
Thank you, nursery. I think about our children's ministry. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he had this scene happen. Many of you will remember it with the disciples, right? He, a bunch of people brought their children And the children started running. They kind of broke through the line, and they're getting up on Jesus' lap. And the Scripture says He's putting His hands on them and blessing them. I would have loved to have seen that. And the disciples get annoyed. You know, they were kind of His security detachment. And they're like, hey, 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 back off. Don't Quit bringing the kids. And Jesus got mad. Jesus stopped it right there. You stop that. Don't you keep the little ones from coming to me. They're like the kingdom of heaven. There's a quality in them. There's something so beautiful in children. There's also something that doesn't get recognized. In that culture, children were basically told to be quiet and to stay out of the way, and they were considered to be the least in society. They weren't considered to be... Listen, this is, a lot of people have a wrong idea. We think that Jesus is saying in that text that the kingdom is like children. We think He's saying because of their innocence and their faith, and those things apply. But in that culture, it was, we don't want to see you, and we don't want to hear you. It's hidden. It lacks value in the eyes of people. And Jesus says, that's just what the kingdom of God is like. It's hidden. It's a way. It seems to lack value, but it's powerful. It's powerful. And so when people minister to our children and they serve our children, uh, they're putting something into them. Just a quick testimony. When I was a little boy, I came from a really broken family, and my parents were really young, and my dad was drug addicted, and they were into all kinds of stuff. So Grandma and Grandpa had a big place in my life, on both my mom's side and my dad's side. And on my dad's side, my my grandparents were really strong Pentecostal Assembly of God believers. And I was only with them for the first five years of my life because I got separated from them at five, and I didn't see them again until I was 19. But those first five years of my life, they took me to Sunday school. And, and they told me, that one of the teachers still remembered me years later. They said, when I was in Sunday school, I loved learning about Jesus. I don't remember much, but I loved learning about Jesus. And I really believe something got implanted inside of me. And then when I was about eight years old, seven, eight years old, this uh, Vacation Bible School Baptist bus came through our neighborhood. Anybody remember the Vacation Bible School Baptist bus? How many of you were ever blessed by the Vacation Bible School Baptist bus? Say that three times fast, right? And it picked me up, and I went to this, this vacation Bible school one summer, and I remember, to this day, I remember the theme was um, Buccaneers and Pirates. It was a Buccaneer theme. We got to make these little hats and wear them. I thought it was the coolest thing. And all week long, we did that vacation Bible school, and at the end of the week, the pastor got up, and he gave the salvation message. And I remember being about eight years old, I walked the aisle. And I came up to the front and a woman took me into a little back room and she said to me, do you want to confess your sins to Jesus? And I said, yes. And she said, tell Jesus what you've done. And I remember thinking at the time, oh man, I knew that I'd lied. That's what I I remember specifically. Dear Jesus, forgive me for lying. Will you come into my heart and forgive my sins? Now listen. After that, our family went kind of kooky, and I got into all kinds of stuff as a teenager. I started using, and we moved all over the place, overdosed at 16, almost died a couple of times, did some crazy stuff. At 18 and a half years old, I had a radical encounter, and at 19, I was truly born again and got reunited with my real father, who went from being a drug addict and a convict to a preacher. 
Yeah. But, but here's the point. In all of that, it was because I believe a huge part of all of that, yes, my grandparents' prayers, but those Sunday school teachers, those vacation Bible school people who took time to pour into my life, they were aligned. At the time, they didn't know I'm making, and maybe they did know, I'm making an eternal investment into the life of a heart of a child that will change their course forever. I really believe that's part of my story. Part of my salvation story is people took the time to work with children and make a difference. I really appreciate what Cyrus and Reagan are doing. Reagan's right there. Good job. They took over from my wife a few months back, and they're doing an awesome, awesome job. And you know what? They still need help. They still need people to step up and teach and, and be helpers and work with our kids. And I'll tell you, there's, there's nothing so fulfilling as working with a child. But even if it's a rough Sunday, and even if it's tough, and you don't, you don't feel like any of it's working, and these kids are squirrely, and they're all over the place, and you're like, what am I doing? This is insanity. You have no idea the power of God's Word and your love and the grace that flows through your life, the impact it can make on a child. So I, I'm going to close with this quote by C.S. Lewis. I love this. He says, God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. Creation seems to be delegation through and through. I suppose this is because He is a giver. I want you to think about that. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you, right? He doesn't need us. That's, that's a, a theological reality about God. God is self-sufficient, self-existent. He doesn't need anything. Don't, don't think that God made human beings because He was sitting up in heaven. He was kind of lonely. Man, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit talking. It's kind of lonely up here. We should do something. I can't take it anymore. Let's have some kids. We'll start with angels and we'll make some humans. You know, we think sometimes God created because He had need, but He has no need. He's completely self-sufficient within Himself. You know why God created? Because God is love. And love finds expression. Love is always growing in the family. Love is always desiring to give away to another. God created because he's a creator. It's just who he is. He's an artist. He's a maker. He's a great architect. He's a great builder. And out of his essential nature, he had to create. And that's why he made us, for his pleasure and his joy. And he made us and then shared with us creation. He gave us a planet, and He said, care for it, tend it, make it, take this garden and spread it. It's all yours. Enjoy it all. I only have one command. Don't mess with that one tree, but the rest of it, enjoy it, and enjoy one another, and enjoy these animals, enjoy this creation, and we messed it up. And still, He shares with us. Still, He stewards it and then gives it away. Still, He comes alongside and delegates. He says, let's partner in my creation. Let's partner in my world. And that's what he's doing today with us. Amen? So I want to invite you to partner with us. Now this is an exciting year. I believe we're going to see our greatest year in the history of our church. I really do. I believe we're going to see more people come to faith in Jesus than we ever have before. More disciples made. 
More people healed from sicknesses. More people reconciled in their marriages. More people restored. More addicts delivered. Amen? More people that feel rejected, accepted, and loved. But the only way that happens is when people get in the game and get aligned with God and aligned with one another.